Quick, when you think of intercom, what's the first thing that comes to mind? So, while I can't actually hear all of your responses, I can bet that your answers might vary. And Shane Murphy thinks so too. Shane joined Intercom about eight months ago as their SVP of marketing. And at that time, marketing had four different teams on two continents marketing multiple products. Now, imagine trying to maintain a unified message and overall brand vision. It's been a challenge. That's part of what Shane's been working on at Intercom. To continue fueling growth, move up market, and differentiate from a crowded marketplace, Intercom knows that clarity of messaging will be critical. And while Intercom might always mean something slightly different depending on the user, they know they have to be in control of those definitions. Here's my conversation with Shane, where we talk about where Intercom is headed, and most importantly, how they plan on getting there. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Adroll was an interesting career pivot for me. I had worked for most of my career in uh, consumer marketing, um, in predominantly in the telecom space, and then uh, for a bit in online gaming. Um, and so, you know, when AdRoll came knocking, um, it was just an interesting. In Dublin, there's so many tech companies, um, and it's very. You know, I wanted to like dip my toe in and see what what B two B was like and B two B tech. And um, so, decided to try try it. And I would say I did a year in Dublin with AdRoll, um, you know, running European marketing, which um, probably you know, at the time I thought I'd made a really bad career decision. Um, I'd gone from managing sort of like 45 people in my role before ad role, um, 30 million euro budget um, for like a major European brand. And then I was managing sort of two or three people. I thought I was going into like build, you know, and so this is my opportunity to build the team from scratch the way that I, I, I would want. Um, but, the you know, the reality of it is that um, if the kind of regional marketing teams like European marketing they are very much a field marketing team. Um, and I was, frankly, I was very naive in, into what I was actually getting into. Right. Well, you know, luckily I, I kind of had, had a choice. I either would say, whoop, made a mistake and, and, and jump out of it pretty quickly. The, the door was always open in, in my, my last uh, company before Admiral Paddy Power. And um, so I could either do that or uh, you know, sort of stick around, wait until I felt that I had actually proven myself a bit and then have a, you know, proper conversation with Adderall about, about, you know, what I actually wanted to do. And um, I think a lot of the time, like I've, I've dealt with this certainly recently, um, you have people come in and it happens sometimes their expectations are mismanaged with, with going into a role. And after about three months, they start making demands and it just falls in de deaf ears. It's like, you know, you, 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 if you made a mistake like that, you know, um, I don't think you can start making demands. It's kind of on you a little bit. Um, uh, so anyway, I decided to put the head down, prove myself, and then have a conversation. So after about nine or ten months, it felt like I'd kind of um, I delivered some couple of big projects, and so I had a conversation with the CMO at the time, um, Adam Burke, about you know what what next would look like. And so they reorged the marketing team, and I came out to run pretty much everything other than uh, product marketing um, and the sort of design studio. And then a year later, was running all of marketing, um, and then a year after that, was running 
marketing on uh, North America sales. And so what was first a pretty poor career decision, which I thought it was, ended up you know, being a, a really great one because the, the experience that, that I think I brought into the role, uh, at the end of the day, played out. So it was a bit of a step back to right. step, step on a bit of a curve. Um, which, you know, so I was there for about four years. Um, and then that led to my step into running marketing here at Intercom. How did you, uh, like, because you were in a specialty role, really, at Adderall, running European marketing. Uh, what would you say, like, was the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, the biggest thing for you in transitioning into that, you know, heading up all of marketing? Like, what what, what was it that, that helped, uh, A, make that transition possible? And and B like helped you adjust. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think the big difference was coming from a consumer marketing background. In consumer marketing, uh, marketing runs the business. Like if you're a, if you're a PG&E, marketing run the PNL, marketing run the product, mm. marketing are kind of like the core of the business. Um, and so if you grow up in consumer marketing, you are uh, a very commercial. Uh, you're, you're trained to be very, very commercial, quite strategic, understanding how all the different elements of a product and brand come together to drive revenue. Um, and so I think, I, I, you know, I had the advantage of growing up doing that. And then, yes, I did about a year in more of a specialty field marketing role at AdRoll, but that was more that was the that was more the exception than what I was doing uh, in, in most of my career. So. Right. You know, when, after the the year doing specialty field marketing, which frankly I'm actually not even I wouldn't I wouldn't hire myself as a head of field marketing. <laughs> right? So I I would go and find an expert uh, head of field marketing, which we we're actually looking for at Intercom. If anyone out there knows anybody, and and so you know I think I think the the yeah the year in in Dublin was great. Selfishly, it was great because it actually gave me a, a about a year. Um, to learn B2B marketing with some sort of training wheels on, right? I, I think had I jumped from the consumer marketing world straight into running marketing at a B2B company, I would have really, really struggled. Um, just because, you know, fundamentally marketing is all the same, but the sales partnership is exceptionally different, right? It's just not something you consider uh, in, in consumer in the same way. The definitions around, you know, un- understanding right. the pain of lead routing, understanding attribution in a B2B world, all these things are, are really different. So in, in a lot of ways, I was very, very lucky to have that year in the, you know, as, as you call it, a specialty role. And um, because I was, a- I was able to um, learn the basics of B2B marketing before taking the, the big leap into actually sort of running the, the full team. Right. Um, and so it, it, it's one of those decisions where at the time you're like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, but, you know, if you stick it, stick it out and back yourself, um, you know, oftentimes it can come good. What, so like then you're, you know, assuming a, a leadership position in marketing at a place like Intercom, right? Which is markedly different from where Adderall was at the time, right? Big, you know, big team. Uh, so what do you like... Share like what were the biggest challenges coming into a leadership role uh, for an established company and, and marketing team like Intercom? Yeah, um, I think the, the the biggest. I'll give you a bit of bit of context, but like the the biggest challenge has been over the last six months is really like organizing the team. Um, uh, Intercom has been exceptionally successful 
you know, over the last, we actually just celebrated our, our eighth birthday about a month ago. Um, and, you know, during that time, the, 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 it was only up until about a year ago that there was actually a head of marketing. Prior to that, the marketing team all grew up in sort of, was, were created by different leaders and sort of grew up in a um, somewhat, you know, kind of disconnected way. So you had product marketing, which was one of the things the first team, teams founded. There was a design studio and there was a content team out of Dublin. Right. Yeah. Um, which was sort of building the brand from a content perspective. And then Demand Gen was set up, I think, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so these were so siloed these, teams with, with different leadership? Very, very, yeah, very siloed teams. And, you know, mm-hmm. when I came in, uh, one of the reasons I, I, I chose Intercom and, you know, look, gladly they also chose me, but um, was, you, you know, I think as a market, you want to go work for a brand that or a company that truly understands marketing and the importance of things like brand. Sure. And, and Intercom truly doing like in, in, in Intercom's DNA is absolutely great, great marketing. And I knew coming here that the bar of what good looks like would be really high. And, um, you know, I've worked in jobs before where you're kind of banging your head against the wall trying to, you know, trying to explain to people the power of, of brand and, and, and uh, importance of great positioning. And anyway, so Intercom had that. Um, and through their growth, I think when you're a smaller team, if it's in your DNA and kind of like the, the founders understand it, they can infuse that through the marketing team through uh, just osmosis, right? The team gets it smaller. It works as teams grow up and the, and the founders need to step away and run, you know, either different orgs um, or running the business. And um, that, that kind of, you know, doing marketing by osmosis and, um, doesn't work anymore. Like the, the intercom yeah. marketing team, once we fill our roles, would be about seventy-five people, and um, you know, split across offices. And you need to, at that point, actually set up the team so that they, number one, understand like what what is the scope of each team, like what are they truly there to do, and um, and then how do the different teams work together in order to achieve goals. And um, and so some of the work that we've been doing as a team recently. Um, well, number one, we hired, we actually hired a head of marketing planning um, uh, and project management whose job it is to work with me on like, how do we actually ship marketing? Like, how, how do we actually do this? Right. So I would, I would say that if you're building a marketing team, that having somebody solely focused on that is critical. At Paddy Power, when I was there, I had a team of uh, three or four people, depending upon the time, who were helping me do that for the org. You know, it, the risk is that it ends up at your 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 door the whole time as a leader, and you end up the, the, constantly just figuring out how, how how do you ship stuff. So anyway, we hired somebody uh, to do that, and then each of the different teams have been over the last three months have been writing out a what's their team mission, what are the and I can probably send you the template that we've been using, but what are the pillars? Of responsibility that they're that, that they own in order to achieve that mission and um, and then we underneath each pillar have example sort of activities to bring it to life and example kpis that they measure themselves by to bring it to life so you know take something like we we have an integrated marketing team whose job it is to number one agree with leadership what are the key narratives you want to put in market what are the what are the key key stories narratives things that we want to be known for and turn the then the second pillar is turn those into actual campaigns, and like what you know, what does a campaign calendar look like? Get the briefs right, and work with the teams in order to uh, build out the plans. 
And then the third pillar would be actually like project management of the campaigns in an integrated way, making sure that um, the creative brings the brief mm-hmm. to life, making sure that all of the different channels are all stitched together to tell one story. And so taking something like integrated marketing, you know, they've got a mission, they've got those three pillars, and then underneath they've got like example activities and goals for H2 that they're working on. And we just did... Sounds like a good way to ago. align everything around like a, a, a common vision, right? Rather than... Then, uh, I mean, you could align around several things, right? You can align around specific metrics, improving specific metrics. You can align around, it sounds like the mission and, and, and vision of the company too, and tying everything together. But it sounds like this approach is a good way to make sure every team is kind of working toward furthering the mission and vision of the company, but in a way that's, that's you know, easily measurable. I, th- I think that's right. I think for me, it was it was more regardless of actually what the marketing team is going to deliver, right? With, you know, visions and strategies and things right. do change. Like a mission shouldn't change, right? Right, like a yeah. Never. should maybe change every sort of three to five years. And then your strategy could change every couple of years, right? Sure, yeah. My, my, my issue with the, I think, the challenge we had in the marketing team was that. And we, if you just said to us, hey, we need to go and achieve X, we need to be known as the messenger company. We did not have a way, a clear process for how we would um, do that as a team. And so with this, doing this- In terms of the I, specific activities and and like- Exactly. What levers you'd even pull to, to where to start? Yeah, so right. who who in the team, for example, is gonna write the write the brief? Is it product marketing? Sure. Is it integrated okay. marketing? Yeah. Is it a team of people? Um, you know, who who's, who is actually owns the budget to do a campaign like that? Is it the individual channel owners? So does like the person running paid search have a budget? Does field marketing have a page budget? Or actually, does the campaign owner have the budget? Then a media plan is pulled together and they sign it off and say, yes, that's the appropriate media plan for this campaign. Um, and when you're dealing with a team, as I said, sort of like 75 people, um, you, you need to you, you need to like be much more clear about that than when it's a smaller team of you all just in it together and, and you kind of understand it. You know who's doing what and if the if the if there are gray areas, it doesn't really matter because you're a small team and you can yeah the handoffs back. are much easier yeah yeah and so you know for me doing this and we you know a couple of weeks ago we did a readout of each team presented their sort of mission pillars activity and the key you know the great thing that happened in that it was like oh wait a second I thought I was supposed to be doing that there's overlap there how are we going to do this and so we took away a bunch of um, areas to follow up on to like map out. Um, and how exactly do we work? So sales enablement is a classic example where we have a content marketing team whose skill is in creating great great content and great stories, which actually a sales team needs, right? Um, and then you've got a product marketing team who typically are responsible for sales enablement. Um, so how do those two teams work together in order to actually enable the sales team uh, to appropriately sell? And how do we work with actually the sales enablement team within the sales function? Um, and you know, you have to like, I, I think once you get to a certain scale, lock those things down, otherwise, Otherwise, either two, multiple people are running after the same ball um, and they're going to knock into each other or nobody is because they think everyone else is. Um, right. And so, you know, really getting clear on that stuff is just so, so critical. And I think we've you know, taken really big steps forward in, in, in doing that, just, you know, kind of organizationally over the last month or so. So is each team's mission the same? It's, it aligns with the company's overall mission? But yeah, the company will have a mission, then the marketing team will have a mission that cascades from that, and then each individual team will have their own mission, which is 
which articulates their role that they play yeah. within right in furthering within that better working mission. That so like yeah, you know, take integrated marketing. I don't know the exact words off the top of my head, but the integrated marketing team's job is to um, um, you know, define the narratives you want to put into the market and organize integrated marketing campaigns that we execute, um, you know, in market, um, which is specifically for the integrated marketing team. That's the marketing team's overall mission. Wouldn't be that. And then, what would what would be the pillars in that situation? So for integrated marketing, they have three pillars. One is actually uh, defining what the narratives are that we want to put into market. Um, you know, what are the stories that we want to tell as a marketing team? The second pillar would be to, to turn those into uh, marketing campaigns. So next step might be for them to uh, write you know, up the briefs, make sure that the strategy is clear for the campaigns, form many working teams around the campaigns. And then once the campaigns are locked down and we know what we're doing, and the third one is project managing their execution. So if you want to do an integrated marketing mm. meeting that like you know, 20 different channels and activity are all operating together to tell the same story, you need to make sure that uh, you know, that the, the messaging is really tight, that each of the individual channels have the creative delivered in a way that works for their channel. Like paid search, we need something completely different sure. to if we're buying podcast audio. Um, ads um, and so you know, the third pillar would be very much around uh, the project managing execution of that making sure that we have KPIs that we're reporting on for the campaign and all those sort of things right um, and so then the activities the last part of that is really just the day-to-day output uh, that support uh, those pillars exactly but the individual channel owners would typically manage the day-to-day activities the integrated right. marketing would just make sure that <clears throat> that we're not like for example take measurements it would be very easy for each individual channel owner then to to measure their impact, and um, and given marketing attribution, sometimes there's sure. overlap. You add together, and so you know one team who is responsible for reporting back on that campaign holistically. So how is this structure like? How is that rollout that structure going? Because that that kind of stuff can I mean that could take a year, right? To to roll out and get everybody uh, a bought in and 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 following the process. Like how is that like? How is that all going? What kind of progress have, have has the company made? Yeah, so you know, I think my first three months is very much about just getting my head around things. Yeah, and listening, trying to figure things out. The last three months have been about okay, let's define what the team structure should be. And actually, at the same time, back to your part around your your mention about all or us all being aligned to go after a certain sort of strategy and vision. As a company, we've also been working that in, you know uh, side by side with me organizing the marketing team, which is like truly what's our strategy. You know, really, what's our message in market? And um, so these two things have been working in parallel. Um, and uh, you know, we, we we've we've made massive progress in the first six months. So we're actually now within the marketing team around organi- organizing the marketing team. We we have the team organized. We have we have exactly what the roles you need to hire for. We have all the missions, the pillars all locked down. And um, so you know, the second three months was about that, and, and we have that locked down now. Over the next three months, it will be uh, turning that into action. So we do need to hire, right? So uh, you know, I think we've got about twenty roles open uh, in the team to go and uh, you know actually build what we've d- designed. And um, and then it's also about now saying let's put let's put some marketing through this machine, right? Let's let's right. let's go deliver a campaign. And uh, so we're starting to work on that now. So I think it can take up to a year. I think the big the thing that I've been most most impressed about at Intercom is 
a lot of the times you come into companies and you have these things that you need to do and, and, and you know to drive change. And there's a lot of resistance. It's like, well, wait a second, we've been doing we're 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 really successful. So surely we can keep doing the thing that we were doing. Um I, that would absolutely at income there is a understanding that to continue with like the record breaking growth that we've had, that we we can keep doing things the same way. And so like, even the marketing team have been begging for this themselves. They're, the first thing that everyone told me is that we all work in silos. We need to fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have that, um, you can drive change much more uh, quickly. Um, and so, yeah, we've been, we've been able to, I'd say, within the first six months, as I said, get pretty locked down on what we're trying to do. And now H2 is all about actually starting to execute against it. What would you say, uh, you know, as you as you work toward putting initiatives into these the, the, this marketing engine in the in the process that you're building, what would you say is the most challenging or ambitious goal that the marketing team as a whole faces, you know, over the next six to twelve months? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest challenge is like our, our clarity of message. Um, Intercom has you know, when when a company founds, generally speaking. There is, uh, they have one target market they're going after and they have one product. Mm-hmm. There is a direct relationship between those two things. They have one story as a result and that story all lines up. Um, as a company grows and they have multiple products that you can now you know, form into different solutions and they've got different target markets, whether they be geographically, they could be industries, they could be you know, jobs to be done, which Intercom are a big sort of believer in you can use intercom to acquire or you can use intercom to help support suddenly right so you've got multiple products solutions different target markets um there is a huge risk of your story becoming watered down and you know because if you try and tell one story that um you try and tell one story that really resonates with all of those different target markets that you're you're trying to go after you're trying to essentially find like what's the what's the common ground between those customers, right? What's the you know, sort of where's consensus among, yeah, among all these yeah, different target markets? Yeah, exactly. So that that becomes the overarching message that you, if you don't know who the customer is, which oftentimes in marketing you, you don't, right? Like if I put a billboard up in downtown San Francisco, and um, you don't really know which which of your, your target market you're 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 you're, uh, you're going to see that. Um, because San Francisco has you know, every type of uh, B2B professional. And so you have sort of, you, there are other channels where you do, right? Like if, if you have, you're running a retargeting campaign, you know what pages in your website they've been at. You have a, right. a lot of data to target that message. But oftentimes you don't. And um, so let, let's take the billboard example. You have two choices as a marketer. Either you decide we're going to be hyper-focused on which are priority customer segments. Um, and you put up a very specific message uh, on that billboard, which will only resonate with like, you know, a quarter of your customers, but it'll resonate really, really well. Your other approach would be, no, that's too targeted. We're going to target 75% of our target customers. You know, we're going to these three, mm-hmm. three um, personas and not this other one. And now you're getting a broader reach but your message, there's a risk that your message is diluted. Still watered down, right. Too watered down. So like you, your, your job as a marketer is to um, do a couple of things. Number one, ensure that when you think about your personas, that you have a good understanding of 
to what, how different are they? Um, I'll get, and, and there are a lot of knock-on implications of that, which I'll talk about in a second. Sure. Um, and then the second question is, uh, what is the trade-off as we go after more segments versus fewer in the clarity of message? Um, and so if those target markets, for example, don't have a huge amount of connective tissue, in order to communicate a message that makes sense to all of them, you're going to have to really water down the message to some because there's such little things in common that you've got to go really high level to, to tie it all together, right? Um, your car brands are a great example of that where, you know, if you're a Volkswagen, Volkswagen or Porsche, but also a Volkswagen, the old Skoda, they have three different brands. They, they don't have one brand because the connected tissue between the three buyers of a Skoda versus a Volkswagen versus a Porsche are uh, you know, they're not that connected um, and what they're looking for. And so in their mind, they said, okay, these are, there's not enough connective tissue here. We're going to actually, from a brand architecture perspective, split these apart. So right. that I put, when I put a billboard up in San Francisco. Targeted messaging, to, right. Very uh, different target. Yeah, yeah. And actually, we, we in, at AdRoll in my uh, sort of second to last year there, we did a lot of work on this and we recognized that actually we had two pretty distinct buyers of AdRoll. One was a B2B buyer who was using us to do ABM. And one was these kind of e-commerce companies who are trying to like sell more shoes. Those companies are so, so different um, in how you would message them and target them. And so we actually at that stage decided because they were so different, we would create a separate brand for B2B and, and we launched Rollworks, um, which was our, our B2B brand and then AdRoll. Um, as a result, was able to be way more focused on its original target market of e-commerce. And so, you know, you can solve it somewhat in, in your brand architecture. Um, uh, the other way that you can solve it is that you actually find a part of your value proposition that is connected tissue between the, the, the buyers. And so bringing it back to Intercom, for example, we have two, at a really high level, we actually have more than this, but at a really high level, there are two types of ways people would buy us. One is that they buy us as an overall uh, customer messaging platform, meaning that they we're going to be the only thing they use to talk to their customers. They'll use us for their CRM, mm -hmm. for email, text messaging, on-site chat, all those things. Other buyers um, who are more upmarket have their own CRM, they have their own you know email tool, maybe they're using Marketo, and they want to buy Intercom as a best-in-class messenger. They want to use our live chat and our, our bots on their site. And um, those are two pretty different value propositions, right? Like if you come to our homepage, um, how, you, how, how do you tell both those stories? They're so different. Um, and the reality is when we did a lot of research, we recognized that even the, even the people who are buying us as their all-in-one messaging platform originally come to us because of the strength of the messenger. They want to talk to their customers and, and they want to give real-time support. And so what we've recognized is that actually the, there is actually a lot more connective tissue between the buyers than we had originally thought, which now gives us much more confidence that actually we don't need to, we don't need to do anything drastic, like, you know, create different sub brands and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of connective tissue between these customers around wanting the best messenger in the world, right? Right. And, which we can provide. Right, and uh, you, the, mates, you, the the team has made some changes right to the website and and some product UI changes, I think, too, in the last six months. But the website, even more recently, where I think the what's the value prop now? Come for our chat, stay for everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was <laughs> that was done 
mid. So this is tough, like, cause, so I'm, you know, as I said, I'm six months in, and we were doing a lot of this thinking around our strategy and our story, and the website project was actually uh, our brand identity project, right? So we updated our brand identity to make it sort of reflect more what we think we, we'd become, which was a bit more um, of a, we were trying to bring a bit more, um, seriousness is the wrong word, but like professionalism to our brand and just have consistency across the brand. But anyway, it was an overall brand identity project, the main deliverable of which was a new website. Um, and so really the project was about updating the look and feel of the website mm. and not the positioning and story. Right, okay. ha- having said that, there was an opportunity and I was like, okay, our headline in the last one was like so vague. It was like a new way to grow and sort of <laughs> grow your business or something like that. Like, could be any SaaS product, literally any SaaS could be, product. Could be, <laughs> could be anything, but like, you know, you know, it did test well apparently in the past. And so, you know, this was one of those decisions where it was, no, I don't want to say it was knee jerk, but it was like, we need to have something that's a bit more like clear. And for me, the insight that we were trying to get across in that is that, you know, people, people think of us as like chat. We actually do a lot more than that. And so let, when they come to the website, at least let them say, tell them you're in the right place. You know, you've come for a chat. You're, you're in the right place. Don't, don't run away. Um, but Hey, there's, there's way more. And so go, go digging to find out the more. Right. Um, and, and I actually, you know, our, our copywriter Chelsea did a great job of coming up with that. You know, best practice would suggest that that's not a great headline because it makes you the hero, right? It's like you're in a common that headline is a hero. It's got come for our chat instead sure. of for our thing else. And kind of, you know, best practice is that you want to make the customer the hero, like which to be fair to grow, you know, a new way to grow your business uh, talks about growing your business. You're a bit more of the hero. But anyway, it's a bit of a tangent. Um, so yeah, we the, the the update of our story has been sort of happening in parallel to that, and the change of the headline was a little bit of a uh, you know teaser into the story that we 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 do want to tell, um, which is all around sort of you know leading with the messenger, um, and then when you 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 buy us as the messenger, then we reveal all the other power of intercom. It's kind of like the messenger is our Trojan horse, um, not dissimilar to like McDonald's. You know, their Trojan horse for a long time was the Big Mac, right? You can mm-hmm. you buy a Big Mac, you go in, but then you buy a Coke, you buy you, you buy the fries, you buy the experience and everything. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It also shows you too, like you said, the, the previous headline tested well. How important do you think that is? Especially when you're trying to, like, you, you know, go through this brand identity exercise. Uh, sometimes I, I think, uh, you know, going back to that, uh, uh, trying to trying to have a message that appeals to the most amount of people, Testing kind of leaves you vulnerable to that kind of thing too, right? I mean, you're 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 getting a signal from a lot of people saying that this this is a good headline, um, and I feel like what happens in a lot of those cases is you end up with a watered down headline or one that's more generic about help you know the new way to grow. Um, yeah. Sometimes the best ones are just you know let's try this and run with it, uh, like maybe similar to the one you have now. Yeah, I think so. I think there are two parts to this. Number one, uh, testing is only as good as your hypothesis, right? Like. I could test two really shite headlines <laughs> and, and one of them would win, yeah. right? So absolutely there's a skill in the marketer using their talents and their craft to figure out what are the, the two headlines that they want to put against each other. Um, and so I'll give a good example. I remember we, we in, when I was working at Paddy Power, created a conversion rate optimization team. Um, they presented their sort of first six months of tests that they ran and they proudly said that 
10 out of 10 tests that they ran, the, their hypothesis won. You know, so B, the thing that they were testing won. And they were really proud of this. And my view on it was like, you clearly have been testing um, against something, a terrible A, right? Like, you know that this is better. You've actually, <laughs> arguably, you've kind of just wasted six months just back to your point, I think, when you were setting up the podcast, like backslapping, right? It's like, um, they were testing versus a, a website that was not well designed. And so, right. of course, the, the, the thing they're testing is going to win. So I think there's a bit of, you know, you need to be careful not to, you need to be, you just need to use your skill as a marketer to make sure that the things you're testing are the right things. It's, it's a hard, say, yeah, it's a hard skill because I think to, to, there's not enough thought put into the statistical significance. And I think in most cases, it's, it's marketers trying to validate their own idea. So if yes. there's a 1% lift, like this is what we're going with, um, even if it's over the control. So I, I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of biases and AB testing and there, yeah, there's just not a lot enough thought put into the, the significance of, you know, what kind of change are we looking at? Is it 2%? Is it 15%? Um, I think that's right. And, and, and the, you know, I, I go a step further, which is, so like, the, you know, my first lesson on it was very much around making sure that you're using your craft to figure out what are the things that you should test. Well, and to your point, once you are testing the measurement, I've seen so many people is like, oh, the click-through rate went up. Okay. Like that's meaningless, completely meaningless. <laughs> uh, it's like you need to be able to test these all the way through to revenue and, uh, and you know, not, a, not like first month revenue, uh, long-term revenue um, to you know, truly uh, understand the impact, which to your point around statistical significance, one of the challenges I've had moving to B2B is that B2B has a lot lower volume and to get to statistical significance mm. takes longer. Now, we still do it at Intercom. Um, we do run our test, tests in a statistically significant way and, and, and uh, do go down to, to LTV uplift. Um, How but long does that a- typically take? I mean, it's going to be different depending on where the test is, if it's in the app versus the marketing website. But if it's on the marketing website, how long does that typically take to get to significance? Uh, it it, it kind of depends. If it's a headline, you know, we can get there in a couple of months. Um, if it is some, because the, obviously the homepage gets the most amount of traffic. Sure. Yeah. If it's something more like we're doing something on the, in the pricing flow, um, where fewer people get in there, it would take longer. It could take four months, um, to, to get somewhere like the, the, you know, the, the key thing in reducing the, the time that it takes is building a really, really good lifetime value projection model. And um, like theoretically, if lifetime, your lifetime value is like three years, Arguably, it actually takes you three years plus the four months right. to get to an answer. But most companies, uh, if you've got a good data science team, you know, within 30 days, they're going to have, they, they can project the lifetime value, uh, you know, pretty well. Um, uh, so like actually at, at Paddy Power, we had, Paddy Power, when I was there, we had tons of volume. Like in one year, we acquired 1 million customers. So you can imagine the amount of sort of like people at the website that we had. We we were able to within seven days of data get to within a ninety five percent accuracy on lifetime value projection over three years, um, and so I think you know if you're going to go do this, number one, do not use vanity metrics like click through rates. Got to do it based on lifetime value mm-hmm. uplift. And then I would also say that you need to analyze it and make sure that the lifetime value uplift is coming from the market segments that you're leaning in on. So. It could be very easy for Intercom to drive short-term uplift in in revenue from 
uh, for example, very, very small uh, startups, which is our kind of like our heritage. Um, but given that, you know, the company's strategy is to move into the mid, mid market, that might be, even though it's an uplifting short term revenue, wrong for our long term strategy. And so you still need to use the judgment. Like I, I always use the example of if BBC just um, optimized for short term uplift, quickly they'd become BuzzFeed. And they would have, and 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 then that would be fine. They'd have a great six months, right? They sell sell more ad revenue, right? Slapping each other on the back, and then over the next year or two, they would just completely die. Uh, and so you need to be really careful that you understand not only the uplift, but also that it's aligned with the strategic direction you're going. It's a long term play, yeah, for sure. Marketers, it's it's a long term play, not a quick hit to validate somebody's opinion, which in in most cases is 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 what a lot of A/B testing is. Um, so to wrap up, because we, we've discussed a lot, but in, in planning ahead, uh, and you answered some of this when you talked about the brand identity, um, which might be one of them, but over the next six to 12 months, what, what what do you forecast being the three decisions or projects that could have the biggest impact on on growth or the, or the goals of the overall team, marketing team? Yeah, so one is nailing our story. Um, so you know, we talked a little bit about that, and we're doing a lot of work on that. Um, and I, I think we're about a month away from having that locked down. Um, the second one is uh, pricing and packaging, actually, which uh, <laughs> Instagram has had some... Uh, it's an ongoing one in every SaaS company. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a tough one, you know, I think especially when you come, your heritage is uh, smaller companies that right. um, have, a, have a very low willingness to pay, and then you build this exceptionally powerful machine that you need to monetize. And conserve and how a market, sure, sure. You, yeah. Yeah, how do you make sure that you sort of provide fair and simple pricing um, for the smaller com- companies while also, you know, monetizing the massive investment you made in, in making a very powerful product. So we're, we have had a ton of feedback on our pricing and packaging. Um, uh, mainly it's comprehension. It's very difficult to understand that we're, so we're trying to fix that. Um, and again, we're really close on getting that locked down and, and getting to a place where we're able to test that in market. And then the third one, I think, is all about actually the um, around lead gen. So you've got your story, you've got great pricing and packaging, right? We have to then put that in market, and we need to like drive leads, and and it needs to come from a, a balance of different media investments from, from brand media, like the likes of out of home podcast advertising, all those sort of things, all the way down to the very direct response, like paid search. Right. We need like, we, we need to make sure that we have a fully formed marketing mix that is working together to drive um, the lead gen growth that we need to, to sustain the business. Well, I'm a big fan of Intercom, so I can't wait to see how this all shapes up over the next 12 months now that we have the inside track on what, on what you're going to be focused on. <laughs> Shane, yeah. I, this was great, man. I, I love talking shop with you. I could probably do this for another hour, but you know we have to be respectful of everybody's time. So um, thanks so much for, for coming on and, and sharing so much about the approach and, and how you're thinking about growth the, this year and next year. Love it, John. I really appreciate it. It was, it was a great chat and, and love your feedback or any of your guest feedback on the stuff we're doing at Intercom as we go. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we talk again soon. How can they, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm uh, at Shane Murphy, but it's confusing. S-H-A-N-E-M-U-R-F-Y. Um, <laughs> so it's more phonetic. Somebody else is the PH. It's harder to get the uh, handles nowadays, man. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, hit, hit me up on Twitter.
Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.